This is Tech Talk Today, episode 278. Welcome into Tech Talk Today. I'm Chris. And I'm Angela. Hello, Angela. Hello, everybody. It's Angela Fisher. We're going to kick off today's episode with a late-breaking story that's developing as we record, and then we have a whole bunch of other stuff to get into, including new Wi-Fi standards, strange name changes for BitTorrent, and a classic that's coming back. But let's start with this critical PGP and SMIME bug that can reveal encrypted emails. Now, this isn't necessarily a core flaw in PGP itself, but these two things combined are probably the Internet's most widely used methods for encrypting email, and they're vulnerable to hacks that can reveal plain text of encrypted messages. Wow. Ooh. Better watch out for all your encrypted emails there, Andrews. Yeah. But I did first hear about this from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Right. The EFF posted a blog post on Sunday, and they say they confirmed the research that there is a major flaw here. Now, Mr. Payne, Mr. West Payne from the TechSnap program, is working on a full breakdown right now. But a paper has just been published early this morning called eFail, and it looks like it's the name of the vulnerability. And the, the advice is they, they advise immediately disabling or uninstalling tools that automatically decrypt PGP encrypted email. A couple of my favorites, too. So mm. watch out. All the details are pretty fresh, but I think that the TechSnap breakdown is going to be uh, essential for those that want to follow this. Right. We'll try to do our best on figuring out what's going on and get all the details that we do have. Like, I don't know if there's fixes in the works yet or anything like that. We'll see. And uh, we record that uh, in a couple of days, so we'll have um, hopefully a little more information by then. Now, how many years did we battle Wi-Fi? I think we had like three different... Um, so bad. Yeah. Yeah, we had like three APs at one point, and then whittled that down to two access points uh, for different areas, but you still had to like hop Wi-Fi network? I would. It would default <laughs> to one that was downstairs, and I'd have to manually, like once Telegram was sitting there thinking, 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 I'd have to manually switch it to the other one and be like, no, be on this one so I can get my messages. Yeah, everybody's been trying to crack this problem, and there really hasn't been a solid industry standard. There's been WDS and other ways to extend Wi-Fi, but there hasn't been a standard around mesh Wi-Fi networks. And so you've seen a bunch of different vendors, including Google and Belkin, get in. And Asus just launched a new product this week for mesh Wi-Fi networks. If you're looking for a super simple way to get blazing fast Wi-Fi in every corner of your home, then look no further. Meet the ASUS Lyra Trio Mesh Wi-Fi system. Now, they call it a Wi-Fi system, which is the same verbiage that your Eero system uses. Mm -hmm. This is from a year ago. Here's Eero's ad. This is Eero. It's not a router. It's a Wi-Fi system. You place Eero's throughout your home to create a wireless mesh network that blankets every room in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. Now, the problem here is, is that each one of these vendors is rolling their own solution. Eero has a, a secondary set of radios in each Eero where they form their own a high speed, they say it's gigabit, mesh backbone. And then they have a separate set of radios that they use for the 5 gigahertz and the 2.4 gigahertz. And then they aggregate all of the data over this proprietary mesh backbone network. And uh, at least for us, it, the Eero product does seem to be really solid. It does. No no sponsorship here. I mean, I wish they would because uh, we're both users and we like it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't solve the problem of later on, say five years from now, you wanted to add another component to the Wi-Fi network to like, maybe you decided that you were going to build like an office out in the third bay garage and you wanted to extend Wi-Fi out there. 
and maybe Eero is not in business anymore. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just go grab a Linksys and add it to the mesh. It right. wouldn't be compatible. Ah, yes. So the Wi-Fi Alliance this week is announcing Easy Mesh, which is a certification that aims to standardize this mesh technology. And it's going to hopefully ensure that routers and gateways and access points will all be compatible with each other. So basically, uh, this is going to potentially pass, and then Eero is going to have to, like, what, retro update? Like, would mine, are mine still just uh, bricks in the wall? Or <laughs> I, You know, well, they're still going to work because it's not changing the, the Wi-Fi standard itself, but I no, don't but know. No, have to get a whole new system with this certification. If you wanted this, yeah. But to, it hmm. should be, in theory, possible for Eero to uh, add capability because one of the things the standards body did is they made sure that with most modern Wi-Fi hardware, this could all be implemented via software. Oh, okay, good. So they could, in theory, just be one of the best Wi-Fi mesh networks out there that also supports the standard. They've been pretty good about that. They've brought on several other standards that are not theirs. And I, I could see a lot of vendors do this. Why not? Well, you could have your own management system that sits on top of it that is the secret sauce, and which is would, would be their claim. But you could be using EasyMesh as the uh, actual meshing protocol. And I like this idea a lot. I'd say it's close to Ethernet. It's not It's not as solid, but I, I, I tell you what, it's way more solid than I ever thought possible. Mm-hmm. I would completely be skeptical of somebody who makes these claims. And I, I have been, I've been really pleased. I think it's not great for enterprises or business networks, but these consumer mesh networks, I don't think it has to be Eero either. I think this makes a huge difference because it sort of fills in the, the gaps where you didn't have coverage before. And there was just this worst, the worst feeling in the world is you, you, you get all set up, you turn the TV on in the bed, which we don't normally do, but we're going to get all comfskis and we're, we're going to watch some Roseanne. And we sit down, we hit the play button and it gets to the first joke and <laughs> the dropout happens and the video just buffers. And you feel like a total tool as the person who set it all up. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry. This shouldn't be happening. I don't understand. These files are all on our own land. This this isn't this isn't an internet connection issue. This is just our own land isn't getting through the walls. I'm sorry. And you feel like a total jerk. Uh, and since I put the Wi-Fi mesh system in, I have never had that problem. Plus, now I have devices out in the yard that I use for monitoring and surveillance and things like that that are always connected, have great strong signal. So I think these mesh networks are great. You just gotta, you just gotta deal with the fact that each vendor was implementing their own solution. I'd like to add because we covered this, I think, um, in Tech Talk today a while ago when I got it set up. So easy, so easy to set up. Ridiculously easy. Yeah, you set it up. Yeah, with an app. Like, yeah, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's more and more of a thing these days. Is is trying to make the setup simpler, and I think just a couple of them have really nailed it. Uh, I, I'm I'm really happy to see this easy mesh protocol, and I hope the existing products do get updated to support it because the standards body did work specifically for that. Speaking of really easy, DigitalOcean do.co/action. Go there, sign up with a new account, and when you go to do.co/action, you will get a $100 credit at DigitalOcean. Now you can really kick the tires. I mean, you could kick the tires with a $10 credit, to be honest. A $100 credit, you could actually get some work done. And DigitalOcean 
is super simple. If you're an expert or a beginner, you can deploy a system on their super fast infrastructure in less than 55 seconds. They have enterprise-grade SSDs everywhere, 40 gigabit e-connections coming into the hypervisor, cloud firewalls that block the traffic before they even reach your rig, easy-to-use DNS, monitoring and alerting, and a 99.99% uptime SLA with data centers all over the world. That's DigitalOcean. And then imagine the world's simplest dashboard to manage something this complicated. I don't know how they did it, but they struck the perfect balance. And they top it all off with great documentation. They are cranking out new tutorials like nothing right now because of the new distribution releases, 1804, the new Fedora 28. I just consolidated three droplets down to one of their new flexible droplets for $15 a month, which is a great deal. You can mix and match the resources that are most appropriate for your application. I needed a little more storage. I needed a little more RAM. I didn't need a lot of CPU. So I just mix and matched accordingly. I also add a little block storage on there, consolidated three droplets down onto one super beefy droplet using Fedora 28 Cloud Edition with everything in containers managed by cockpit. And I did it all within an hour. Three systems consolidated down into one rig and then attached additional 250 gigs of block storage all under an hour between the documentation the great dashboard and all of the features, there's something that appeals to all of us. do.co slash action. Go there, get the $100 credit, and see what I've been talking about for a while now. That's do.co slash action. Another batch of Google employees are resigning, and when I found out why... It's pretty disturbing. Yeah, one of the reasons they're resigning is because they want to force Google to change this behavior because of how bad it could affect Google's public image. It's been nearly three months since, I think, more than half a dozen Google employees, I don't have the actual number, uh, left. And another batch just left this last week. And it's all over a controversial military pilot program known as Project Maven which aims to speed up analysis of drone footage by automatically classifying images of objects and people. So another dozen Google employees are resigning in protest over the company's continued investment in Maven. The resigning employees' frustrations range from the particular ethical concerns over Google AI being used to identify drone targets— Uh, to the political actions Google's been taking more and more, and also the erosion of user trust that could result from these actions. Gizmodo got a big leak on this. Somebody, a couple of somebodies, talked directly to Gizmodo, and they said that many of them have written accounts of their decisions to leave the company, and their stories are being gathered in an internal Google Doc, which has been shown to Gizmodo. And they're basically concerned that Google is turning into an evil empire and selling their AI to help the military kill people with our drone program, which right. is actually what Google is doing. Is this is this kind of like an arms race? Like, that's what I'm feeling. Like, if yeah. Google didn't step up to it and they have the power, maybe to, somebody, somebody comes, else would have. Yeah, but maybe not to the not to the better degree. Yeah, perhaps that's how Google looks at it. If we don't do it, somebody else could and we can do a better job. Or the U.S. military came to them and said, we've determined that nobody else in this nation is as good at this as you are. And you have a responsibility to the national security of your country to help us here. Uh, Or it could be something as benign as one of the many companies Google's bought up over the years had an existing fatty contract with the Pentagon. And now Google is continuing to honor that contract uh, as part of Alphabet. I don't know. 
It's really tough to say, but it is disturbing. It's Project Maven, if you would like to look it up more. And we'll have a link in the show notes if you go to techtalk.today slash 278. Look, at, look for the Google Employees Resign and Protest link. Gizmodo, to their credit, got a real exclusive on this one. So I, I, I'm pretty impressed. I realize the issues we're talking about today aren't just issues for Facebook and our community. They're issues and challenges for all of us as Americans. And I, I don't understand why all of the media's attention has been on Facebook when it comes to data privacy and the Cambridge Analytica story. That could have been a jumping off point to start talking about how Google's business practices work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was truly about data collection and user privacy, they would have. And now what I believe, having sat back from a distance, and I got to say, Ange knows this, we have kept a ton of these Facebook stories out of the show. Yeah. Like, yes. it's been a point of a lot of discussion behind the scenes because we don't want this to be the Facebook show. But the media has been piling on and piling on. They're going after Facebook. They are in their sites. And I'll give you an example. This was on CNBC today. I would argue in this instance that this is an insult to dictators. Look at what Mark Zuckerberg tried to do last year. He proposed a third class of stock last year. Fortunately, his board rejected it. That said, if he sold his entire economic interest in the company, he would still control a community more vast than Christianity, more vast than the population of the Southern Hemisphere, plus India. We were all freaked out when Castro took over a Caribbean island nation of 11 million people, but now we have a 33-year-old college dropout that oversees a community greater than the Southern Hemisphere. What could go wrong? And are, by the are way- Are equating Zuckerberg to Castro? This is, I mean, the, the, the level here of vitriol is remarkable. I think he's scarier. This is an, this is an individual who has control over the content that 2.1 billion people see. And by the way, he cannot be removed from office. We have to endure Trump for six years. Trump will, or Putin will be dead in 10 to 20. Zuckerberg could be with us for 70 years. The board of directors there isn't a board, it's an advisory board. The most powerful and, in my view, dangerous person in the world is the Zuck. That is some wow. strong language right there. Yeah, it is. So when Tim Cook was at Duke University giving the graduates commencement speech, he took a few shots at data collection. And you're going to see the media frame this as Tim Cook taking shots at Zuckerberg. But here's what he said that everybody is kind of talking about. We reject the excuse that getting the most out of technology means trading away your right to privacy. So we choose a different path collecting as little of your data as possible, being thoughtful and respectful when it's in our care, because we know it belongs to you. That is, that's some strong language there, and, he's, and the media's framing this as he's taking shots at Facebook, but I think, he's, I think he's taking shots at Google, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it's really interesting because Apple does feel like it's less likely to do that over Facebook and Google, but it could be lip service. It could be. I think it's not today. And this is why I played this clip, because I think Tim Cook just put himself in a really tight box. Um, And it's a box I'm glad he's in, but the iPhone is how Apple makes money today. They don't make money off of monitoring your data. They make money when you buy an iPhone or a MacBook. That's it's a it's a pretty clear, traditional, good old born out of the 80s kind of transaction. They make a good. You buy that very expensive good transaction complete. But the fastest growing aspect right now of Apple's business isn't the iPhone. It's services. It's things that collect data. Now, Apple is trying to walk that line and try not to turn into the next Google, 
But if services, if the iPhone sort of, if we're at peak iPhone and it sort of levels off, they're going to make billions. They're one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable company in the world. They're fine. But Wall Street always wants to see growth. They have to have growth somewhere. Even if they're the most valuable company in the world, it's literally not enough for Wall Street. So they have to grow somewhere and it's going to be services. Now, how do you do services like Google and Amazon and Facebook do without collecting data? They may have to, at some point, just because of the need for profit, have to start collecting data. Maybe not. Maybe they can be the company that figures out how to do it right. That'd be wonderful. There are some out there. But uh, they could have just put himself in the box. And Mark's got an, a counter argument. See, Mark's argument is Zuckerberg. His argument is our platform is for the betterment of humanity. Tim's platform is for people who have money. The reality here is that if you want to build a service that helps connect everyone in the world, then there are a lot of people who can't afford to pay. And therefore, as with a lot of media, having an advertising-supported model is the only rational model that, that can support uh, building the service to, to reach people. Which, in a way, is true. Like, if Jupiter Broadcasting charged for every show and we only released the shows to people who paid, we'd have a much smaller audience. So, in a way, it's like it has to be a free product for it to get adoption. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though, if, uh, if the level of data collection that Facebook has done is necessary. Yeah. That seems... Um, yeah, like they're both they're both taking very extreme sides of the argument, but I kind of like I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I I kind of like seeing this play out a little bit. When I say BitTorrent, you say Rainberry. For some <laughs> reason, uh, turns out for a couple of years now, it just sort of slipped under the radar. BitTorrent Inc. renamed itself to Rainberry, and I don't think anybody's really talked about this, but uh, Torrent Freak has dug into this a little bit. And if you remember, BitTorrent itself, the company was founded years ago. It was best known for uTorrent. Uh, and they got a bunch of money way back in the day. They got a whole bunch of money for uTorrent and BitTorrent, but they never really managed to turn that into a profitable business. And they've refocused recently on uTorrent with a new browser-based version of the popular client. They just released that recently. But something fresh, the name, has changed. It is now Rainberry Inc. It's the official name of the company. It changed right around the start of 2017. And Rainberry's chief product officer, Jordy, conforms to Horn Freak that he stresses this is just a corporate decision. doesn't affect the brands at all. It's kind of like how Alphabet owns Google. But we all just talk about Google, he says. And Rainberry Inc. doesn't really owe the public any explanation. It doesn't have to tell anyone, I suppose. It has no website. Um, it has no entry on LinkedIn. It's just sort <laughs> of a mystery company. Huh. Kind of reminds me of Pocket Casts and Shift Jelly. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same, but... Yeah, like you don't really talk... You don't ever hear people talking about Shift Jelly until Shifty Jelly until they got uh, bought? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about Shifty Jelly? Or until you need to submit a support ticket. Oh! Old wounds close slowly here at Jupiter Broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited that Nintendo is bringing back the NES Classic. I didn't have a chance to jump on it in the past. I don't know. I'm a sucker. I know I could do this on a Raspberry Pi in a hot minute. I know I could do this on my Linux box today. I do it often. But it's and so cute. I know. I already have an emulator on my NVIDIA Shield, too. I can't help myself. <laughs> it's just adorable. It hooks up over HDMI. It's super simple. On June 29th, 2018, the NES Classic is coming back to the U.S. stores for 80 U.S. greenbacks. And it will come with mini games like Super Mario 3, Metroid, The Legend of Zelda, and others. About Wait a 30 second. Games. 
is okay, but are is Super Mario original and two gonna be on there? Cause that is not on the list. Wow, I, that they feels must like a be. Fail. They must. Be. They have to be. Yeah. I mean, obviously, but the third one was the best. I gotta, but, get, I gotta get my floating princess on in Mario too, or else yes, I'm not happy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's such Use a great that one. dress, girl. Use that. That's <laughs> such Mario two is is such a weird one. I love it. There's a good story behind it too. Uh, so there's also the Super NES Classic, which I think would be up your alley because uh-huh. you spent like the better part of an evening getting an actual Super Nintendo tried hooked up to a plasma TV through a receiver. Yes. Well, first I realized that I was missing that proprietary cable that it needs, right? And I found somebody on one of the buy-sell pages that was willing to give it to me for free, which is great because yeah, it's a $25 cable. So I met up with her. She gave it to me. And then I could either get video or audio from the Super Nintendo, but not both. And I don't know if it's because of the way my TV's set up or the um, receiver, but anyway, I ended up having to s- split the cable. You know how like I love it, it... Yeah, I, so <laughs> one of it was plugged into the TV and one was into the receiver, and and then I had audio and sound. That's not jank looking, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, and the nice yeah. thing about this is uh, that proprietary cable, I don't actually know if it even exists anywhere, but I do know on the other end of it is HDMI. Mm. which is sound and video over one cable, so you could just plug it in. And, you know, like in the case of your TV, there's some ports on the side that you could plug it in and just change the input and bypass the receiver altogether, which would be nice, except for then you wouldn't have speakers. Uh, But I think this is cool. I don't know if I'm going to end up getting one. I may pull the trigger on the Super Nintendo. I don't know. I'd love to have both of them here in the studio, to be honest with you. Uh, if you have, if you've gotten one in the past, let us know what you think, and let us know about any of the stories you've heard today and your thoughts on all of it. TechTalk.today slash contact, as well as every new episode, you can get it at TechTalk.today slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. Because we are in the closing episodes. I don't know what to say. The the last final episodes, the end stretch, the home stretch, the final stretch, the final countdown. yeah so uh, stay tuned Uh, get the last few episodes of Tech Talk as they release Uh, also get more Angers on Twitter she's at Angers I'm at Chris LAS and don't forget to follow the network on Twitter at Jupiter Signal and I'll be in Texas June 8th through the 9th I'll be making the whole trek down there in the RV with the rover tracker with me maybe we can meet up along the way go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover I'll be leaving around the end of May and you can track me in real time there until I get to Austin. Then come say hi. Maybe we'll get some barbecue. That'd be good. Do like a sticky shake. No, no. Wash your hand first, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. That's everything for today's episode of Tech Talk Today. And we will see you later this week. This week.